0: Hi there and thank you so much for tuning in to asking for a friend a podcast that covers all those topics relating to sex intimacy and relationships that you might feel a little too embarrassed to ask about i'm your host katrina buffard and i'm a clinical sexologist psychotherapist and sexuality researcher just a warning this podcast may contain conversations of a sexual nature and so if there are little ones around it's best for you to turn off and listen later This episode is sponsored by Dizia, South Africa's leading sexual health and wellness store. Very sneaky little discount. Stay tuned to the end of the episode. Here we are, another 12 episodes down and wrapping up season two. This season has really been utterly fantastic, if I'm honest, Um, from the guests that I've had on to the number of listeners I've gained. So a massive thank you to each and every one of you for joining me on this journey so far. I've shared with you on this season about everything and anything still when it comes to sex, intimacy and relationships. We've chatted about psychedelics and how they're being used to treat mental health concerns and um, to the intricacies of sexual desire from couples therapy and what that actually looks like to navigating sex after a spinal cord injury. The feedback from you as my listeners has really been incredible. I've had listeners share with me that an episode was perhaps life-changing for them, that they had never given the topic thought until they heard an episode, or that an episode helped them come to terms with and accept and let go of a, a particular challenge that they were facing. So every season I wrap up with a QA and a episode as the months or over the months, I get so many questions from listeners, friends, or followers that I think really need to be spoken about. And obviously I want to do a full episode on so many of these questions, but that takes time. So I've picked out some of the the questions that I get asked often and some recent questions that I've been asked by followers on Instagram. And I think that there is a lot here that you could learn from in this short Q&A episode. So, let's just dive straight in. My orgasms are just not as intense as they used to be. What is happening? So this is actually quite a difficult question to give a clear-cut answer to, because without meeting you and doing a full sexual history or a full assessment, I can't give you a specific answer. But I can speak briefly to what might be happening more generally. This can obviously depend on both the individual as well as on the situation. So first and foremost, I think let's speak a little bit about aging. So as we age, our levels of sex hormones decline. So there's going to be a decrease in the levels of testosterone and, a, the dec- and, and decrease in the level of estrogen. And we can experience a change in our sexual response due to that, including orgasm. So, for example, as a woman goes through the menopause, um, kind of in her early 50s, which is the average, a woman will experience less natural lubrication, and that could make sex pretty uncomfortable. A man, as he ages, is going to experience a decrease in testosterone levels, and that's also going to lead to a decrease in sexual response. And thus could lead to a decrease in the sensations of orgasm. Another thing that could be contributing to this here is kind of the routine of sex or boredom around sex. So sex may be the same again and again and again each time you have it. This is really common actually for couples. Couples fall into a particular routine and follow a a particular script when it comes to their sexual repertoire. We kind of stick to what we know and what we know works but after a long period of time or after many, many years of doing the same thing, that that same thing again and again and again is going to become a bit stale. So sometimes routine and boredom could be a contributing factor to a decreased um, intensity of orgasm. Then we could get difficulties caused by um, uncomfortable or distressing emotions like stress or anxiety or depression. So if you're feeling Distressed if you're struggling with emotional discomfort, if you are, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're overwhelmed. I mean, we, we all are now. I mean, it's well over a year into the pandemic. Most countries are in their third wave. The vaccine programs are having problems left, right, and center. There's so much uncertainty that we're faced with, and I know from conversations I've had with my guests, with friends, with clients, sex is just dismal right now, and. That is happening for most people. So there may be a decrease in the intensity of orgasms and pleasure because of that. Then we can also maybe think about levels of arousal and interest in sex and how if you're not aroused enough or you don't have enough interest in having sex, your mind is not going to be in it as much. And when our mind isn't in it and our our, our brain is our largest, uh, well not our largest, it is our most important sex organ. When our brain isn't in it that is going to alter our sexual response and thus the levels of of pleasure that we experience. I think another one that's important to mention is a weak pelvic floor. So our pelvic floor plays such an important role in our sexual health. I actually feel it's so underrated and underestimated as a muscle in our body. If your pelvic floor is weak it's going to mean many things for your sexual health and your sexual response and not good things and that could include decreased pleasure and um, sensation or control. I recommend you listen to episode 8 in this season, season 2, to hear the episode from Candace Langford who's a highly experienced pelvic floor therapist as to why this muscle matters so much and what we can do about it. And then finally, I think something that is important to say is because so many more people are taking medication now, particularly antidepressants or SSRIs as we call them, so many more people are taking medication and certain medication can affect your orgasmic sensations or your pleasure response or sexual response because it can dull that. So that can be dulled from desire to orgasm. So lots and lots of different factors to consider. But obviously, as I said, it's difficult to speak to this person's individual experience without seeing them personally and doing an assessment. My boyfriend says he can't orgasm with a condom on, but I'm not using contraception. Is withdrawing okay? Okay, so firstly, the withdrawal method is the least effective method of all contraceptive methods for unwanted pregnancy, and it provides you with no protection against sexually transmitted infections, STIs. You need to insist on your partner wearing a condom until you have both been fully tested for STIs. And I emphasize that fully bit because often if we go to our doctors and we say, I want an STI screening, they might do a couple. They might do herpes and and chlamydia um, and HIV. But if you insist on a full STI screening, uh, you can go to your GP for that. Although um, I do want to caveat and say we don't test for HPV, human papillomavirus, Uh, it's not possible. Um, If you want to learn a little bit more about that, go back to season one to episode 11, where I spoke to Dr. Mpumizenda about it. If you don't want to fall pregnant and you, you need to be using a contraceptive method that suits you, I really want to encourage you to reach out to a sexual health doctor like the incredible doctors at My sexual Health. They are across South Africa. They do international consults as well, but there are obviously excellent sexual health physicians. There are gum clinics in the UK that you could chat to about the best option for you. Safe sex is so important, and, and we all need to be responsible for our own sexual health. And we need not to be coerced Into unsafe sex because somebody else is feeling it doesn't suit them. What I want to suggest is that your partner try masturbating with a condom on with lots of lubricant so as to get used to the sensation that way. If he's saying that he can only climax without a condom, it is something he's learned and possibly a story he's telling himself as he's able to learn how to climax with a condom on as well through some practice. I really think that the person asking this question, you need to stick to your guns here. If you cannot climax at all during intercourse without a condom, then once you've had sex, once penetration has taken place with a condom and you've experienced enough pleasure, then stop penetrative sex, take the condom off, and you and he can pleasure him in non-penetrative ways. But obviously just a caveat, you can get STIs orally, so to be aware of that, to again go for a full screening or using something like a dental dam. There are actually some really cool videos on Instagram and on YouTube about how to make your own dental dam, I think from like a flavored condom or something like that. My partner doesn't like going down on me. Is that normal or is something wrong with me now when i got this question it was gendered but i broadened it i hope that's okay to the person listening who's asked this i broadened it because i think it could apply to all genders here so let me start off by saying there is nothing wrong with you and this almost always is about them not wanting to go down on you and their preference or experience has got nothing to do with you almost always. So too many women worry about how their vulva looks or smells and honestly any vulva owner has nothing to worry about. Vulvas come in every shape and size. If you don't believe me there's a fantastic art installation called The Great Wall of Vagina. I don't think that the Great Wall of Vulva had the same ring to it. Go and Google The Great Wall of Vagina and you will see what I mean. I often give a small snippet of this art installation as a picture to to my clients with vulvas so that they can see that vulvas do come in every shape and size and with regards to smell unless the smell is fishy or yeasty there really is nothing wrong with you there is supposed to be a particular scent from the vulva that is completely natural so men also have body image and genital image issues and so if if your partner doesn't want you to go down on them or doesn't want to go down on you, it could be relating to something that they're experiencing as well. Men often are concerned with the size of their penis and how they're going to be perceived by their partner. Sex is a, is a really vulnerable space, so we will avoid things that may yield rejection or make us feel really vulnerable or perhaps even um, criticized or dismissed. So, I want to recommend and ask, can you talk to your partner about it in a really curious way? So instead of demanding that they go down on you or perhaps like accusing them of having done it with other partners and now not with you, ask them what comes up. Ask them what comes up for them when you indicate you'd like to be getting some oral sex. I really want to suggest you be really, really curious and open to hear what they have to say. The reasons really could be anything, and some common ones are, like, it feels degrading to do that to you, or to me, or only the girls in porn do that, or I have a really intense gag reflex, this is really common. It could even be a trigger for your partner if there's been any past sexual trauma, so please be acutely aware of this, and that's why I say you really need to take a curious stance. But... I do also want to say it could simply be a preference and that your partner just doesn't like doing it. So, there are endless ways to pleasure your partner. Unfortunately, we generally stick to the three-point plan. Breast, nipples, genitals. Did you know that our, our skin is actually our biggest sex organ? And there are multiple places on the human body that react beautifully to sexual touch. These are called erogenous Zones. These are things like our neck, our collarbone, if you can believe it, the back of the knee, the back of our arm, our lower stomach, our inner thigh, our feet, you name it, you need to explore it. So why not spend some time exploring these areas while having a ban on genital touch during that sexual experience? So in therapy, I call this Venus, which is very erotic, non-insertive sex. So can you do a bit of Venus with one another? you don't need oral to take place in the traditional sense. You can actually have oral all over your body or specifically in the places that turn you on. And if you explore this and communicate this to your partner, you may find this extremely satisfying or highly satisfying. And that might be enough to kind of substitute for the fact that your partner doesn't necessarily like giving you oral. Why do people want to have phone sex? This was such an interesting question. So this probably has a lot to do with fantasy, arousal and, and novelty. I think as human beings, I don't think, I know, as human beings we really like adventure, mystery, intrigue, excitement, and so do our brains when it comes to sex. We also like to engage sexually with our partners for different reasons and at different times than perhaps they, we want to have sex. Phone sex is just another way of having sex. You know, we tend to limit the meaning of sex to intercourse. But if you listen to my podcast regularly, you'll know that sex means so much more than just penetration. Phone sex can be a really exciting and intriguing way to have sex and to build up arousal until you see each other in real life goodness knows the amount of phone sex that we've been having the last year because so many people have been separated from their partners or have been single and been wanting to meet sexual needs has increased exponentially. However, I do want to say it's really normal that one partner feels far more comfortable with it than the other or far more open to trying it than the other. And so engaging in phone sex could feel really strange for you or might feel really anxiety provoking or embarrassing. You might feel like you don't know what to say. So what I want to suggest, maybe, is that you start with sexting first, you know, just using words. Also, you know, using pictures or videos, but I do want to caveat this and say, please be really conscious of pictures and videos you send, no matter how much you trust somebody. Unfortunately, revenge porn is very real. So coming back to the fun stuff. So why don't you just start with sexting first. And if you don't know where to start, and if you feel like you could actually use some coaching, I really recommend practicing. And there's actually an app for this called Juicebox. There are such amazing sex tech apps and platforms out there to help you with this. And Juicebox is actually just one of them. Juicebox is like an online coach to help you learn how to sext. So Get comfortable with it through using an app first, then start with sexting, maybe sending some cheeky videos and pictures. So get yourself comfortable with it first and just explore it. And then ultimately, if it's not for you, if it's something that doesn't turn you on, tell this to your partner, but don't tell them in a dismissing way. Just express to them that you've tried it and you know that it's exciting for them, but it's not something that particularly turns you on. So it might not be something that you're necessarily going to engage with frequently. Should every woman aim to be a squirter for optimal sexual pleasure? So by squirter, this person means um, like a, f- a woman ejaculating. So le- let's first talk a little bit about what female ejaculation is. The research on this is actually very, is vast. And it ver- when I say vast, I don't mean there's a lot of it. I mean, it, it's very broad and, and there's, it's very varied. So some studies say 10% of women ejaculate. Other studies say 50% of women ejaculate. And this is when a woman is climaxing, and then obviously it's really crucial. I get this question a lot when I do workshops. I get this from clients, from people on social media. When a woman ejaculates, it is not urine. It, the, the substance that has been tested the fluid has actually been tested in laboratories. It is not urine, and it does not come out of the urethra. The urethra is where we wee from, so it 's actually likened to ejaculate from men, but obviously without the sperm, and it comes from an area on the vulva on the kind of inside on the inside little tiny lips the labia minora, just inside of those, called the skein's glands, which are located on the either side of your urethra. So as I said, that's where you eat from. It's the tiny little hole beho- below your clitoris. Now, some women will always ejaculate when they orgasm. Some women sometimes ejaculate when they orgasm. Some women may once upon a time do it, and some women will never ejaculate. It absolutely doesn't need to happen for optimal sexual pleasure. The idea of optimal sexual pleasure is actually a completely individual and unique, or let me say it's a completely subjective measure. So what is pleasurable for you might not be for the next person. So it may be pleasurable for one woman when she climaxes that she squirts, but actually for another it may be extremely uncomfortable. I was asked once about the quantity of ejaculate and sometimes you know it can be really uncomfortable for a woman if there's a lot of ejaculate and it's kind of causing a lot of wetness on the bed so it can detract from sexual pleasure overall so it's really personal so if you experience the most pleasure when you squirt then awesome but that doesn't mean it's going to be the same for everybody You know, many women report they feel the urge to wee right before orgasm in certain positions, and that's when a woman is most likely to squirt or ejaculate. That is quite normal, actually, and you're not going to urinate as the brain is shut off the system while, you know, while sex is taking place. It's often associated to what some might call G-spot stimulation. Now, I need to say why it is I say it in that way, because the understanding that i have of anatomy particularly sexual and reproductive anatomy has led me to believe that there isn't a magical spot that needs to be found that when stimulated like brings on wonderful pleasure as you know mainstream media might have us believe but that there is an area on the front inside wall of the vagina kind of sort of behind your pubic hair that's really sensitive and this is directly behind the urethra and the skein's glands so there's actually urethral tissue that's being stimulated in particular positions such as um, back penetration like a doggy style position where that part of the vaginal anatomy is being penetrated and that is when uh, female ejaculation is likely to occur so that brings us to the end of season two of asking for a friend I'm going to take a little break, as I do in between seasons, and I will be back in about six or eight weeks with some really incredible topics. I've got some conversations with some truly, truly phenomenal people, such as Emily Nagoski, where we talk about everything sex and stress. I speak to Dr. Trudy Smith about menopause and what women can expect and how to manage it. And I'm really excited that I've got a conversation coming up with Claire Bourne, who's a physiotherapist based in London, about what to expect from sex when you're expecting. I'm so looking forward to launching season three soon. But until then, stay safe and have great sex. This episode was sponsored by Desire. Dazir believes that sexual health is not just about the latest sex toy, but about using products to improve one's overall sexual health and well-being. For 15% off, use the code FORAFRIEND. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe to this podcast and continue learning about some incredible and fascinating topics that we need to know more and talk more about. You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be grateful if you would rate and review it. Do you have a question you'd like to ask for a friend? Reach out to me via my website or Instagram and I'll be sure to include it in an upcoming episode.